The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Luke chapter 15, I'll be reading verses 1 through 10 as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Amazement. And it is my prayer that as the Spirit gives understanding to His Word this morning, we will be amazed. Luke 15, this is the Word of God. It is the truth. It is a precious gift. May we receive it as such. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the amazing word of God for us sinners this morning. Let us pray. Father, your word is gracious and powerful, and we pray that it would do its work this morning for the sake of your name. Bring your lost ones home. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The movie August Rush tells the story of a young orphan boy who grows up in an orphanage, and as he nears his teenage years, he runs away from the orphanage. And in his running, he meets this homeless drifter, and they develop a unique relationship. And at an important part of the movie, this drifter asks this young boy a question. He says, what do you want most in the world? What do you want most in this world? And this young orphan closes his eyes for a moment, and he he remembers his time 
and the orphanage and all these other orphans that were there. And he thinks how there were no families coming to look for them. No one to bring them home. And he says, I want to be found. I want to know that there is someone looking for me. That there is someone who cares for me. That there's someone who loves me. And perhaps that's the way you feel this morning. Or you might know someone who feels that way. I can't help but thinking perhaps that's the way the tax collectors and the sinners felt in our passage this morning. Well, as we think about that, we realize that there is good news for all of us in this word of God this morning. Because these words of Jesus show us God's true heart for sinners. They show us that Jesus actively pursues sinners and God rejoices when they are found. As we look at this passage this morning, the first thing we notice are the four groups of people that are mentioned in the first two verses. The tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, the scribes. And it's important for us to think about them And who they are and what they say. Because that gives us the very reason for the story that Jesus tells. So we start with the tax collectors. Now to understand the tax collectors, we must remember that at this time, Jerusalem was under Roman rule. And the Jews despised this foreign authority. At least most of them did. But there were some Jews who joined, in a sense, this foreign authority. They bought the right to collect taxes from their brothers, from the Roman government. And so these Jews, these tax collectors, these traders, they didn't just collect taxes. They collected more than what was owed. And they kept the difference for themselves. So they were extorting their countrymen, defrauding them, cheating, stealing from their brothers. And they were despised for this despicable behavior. They were dishonest. Their testimony was not allowed in court. They were not even allowed to enter the synagogue. In fact, the synagogues would not even accept their alms. They were the social and religious outcasts. Their job made them ritually unclean. So pious Jews, Pharisees, and scribes would not want to have anything to do with them and would see them as being alienated from God. And then we have the sinners. This catch-all phrase for the bad people, we might say. These are the kinds of people that you would not want your children around. The kinds of people you would not want your daughters to marry. The kinds of people who never went to church never seemed to have any interest in following after God. They had notoriously bad reputations. Criminals, thieves, drunks, prostitutes. And this group probably also included people with disabilities, the maimed, the diseased. Because pious Jews saw that as a sign of great sin against God. So we have the physically and the morally unapproachable. People who had been rejected by society. People that no respectable Jew would have anything to do with. 
But then in contrast to the tax collectors and the sinners, we have the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, people who were zealous for obeying the law. They made up laws about obeying the law. And you had the scribes, the teachers of the law. So this group of people, the religious leaders, they did not like the fact that Jesus was receiving these sinners and eating with them. You see, in that culture, to share a meal with somebody was incredibly significant. To eat with someone was to treat them as an honored friend. And so the Pharisees saw Jesus as honoring the dishonorable. The Pharisees and the scribes saw Jesus welcoming these sinners, befriending them, eating with them, and they could not understand that. It didn't make any sense to them because they believed that any contact with these sinners would make a person unclean, unfit for worship, unfit for meeting God. And so they stayed as far away from these people as possible. So the question before us today is this, is that how God views sinners? Were the Pharisees right in their grumbling? And the answer that Jesus gives is a resounding no. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He goes after sinners and God rejoices when they repent. Listen, this is the best possible news for us. Because we are all sinners before God. The scribes and Pharisees were sinners too. But there is hope for all of us. So verse 3 says... So Jesus told them this parable. This gives us the reason that Jesus tells the following story. You see, Jesus is answering the complaint of the Pharisees. And in doing so, he is revealing God's true heart for sinners, for the lost, for those outside the church. He sees the tax collectors and the sinners gathered before him, drawing near to hear him. And so Jesus wants to communicate something to them. To teach them his heart for them. And he also sees the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the scribes there before him. And he knows that they have it all wrong. And he is going to correct their thinking. Set the record straight. They have one idea about how God looks at these people. But Jesus, God himself, has a completely different outlook. And he will again say the point is Jesus pursues sinners. And God in all of heaven rejoices when lost sinners are found, when they repent and come home. Jesus gives us two pictures in this story to help us understand that. He begins with the story of the lost sheep. Verse 4, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, I have to admit, there's been times where I've read that verse and I've thought to myself, okay, if I have 100 sheep and I lose just one of them, am I really going to be that concerned? Am I really going to leave the 99 just to go after the one? But the people that Jesus was speaking to would have never thought like that. Because they were living in a culture that was familiar with shepherding. And so they would have completely identified with this story. One thing they would have known is that a shepherd would probably have at least one helper. 
And so as he left the 99, they would be in good hands. Someone would be looking after the 99. But they would also recognize that it was the shepherd's responsibility to go after the lost. And so as they heard these words from Jesus, they would have thought, absolutely. Any shepherd among us would do the same, would go after the lost sheep, both out of a sense of responsibility or duty, but also out of a sense of compassion and affection for the sheep. Out of a sense of duty, because it was the shepherd's responsibility to care for the sheep. But more than that, out of affection, because shepherds came to know their sheep by name and care for them. Many of you are familiar with my family. We have six children, and we also have a dog, and sometimes that dog will escape from our home and get loose. And when that happens, we stop whatever we're doing, and we go after our dog, Rosa. We do all we can to bring her home. Why? Yes, out of sense of responsibility, we have to care for our dog. But more than that, that's not why my children stop and go after the dog. It's because they love her and they want to bring her home. So it doesn't matter what kind of weather, whether it's raining or snowing or whatever. It doesn't matter what we're doing, what we're wearing. I've chased after that dog in a suit and in practically my pajamas. (laughs) If you want a dog, please call me. But shepherds would never say that, right? I might say that as a mean dad, but a shepherd would never say that. A shepherd doesn't grumble or complain. He goes after the lost because he loves them and cares for them. And he has compassion on them because shepherds knew that the sheep would die without their care. See, sheep do not have a built-in survival instinct. When they wander... They do not adapt and survive. They can only wait to be rescued. Lost sheep get too disoriented to find their way home. They are defenseless against almost any danger. And so sooner or later, a lost sheep will fall off a cliff or will die of starvation or will be attacked by a predator. You know, there's a reason there's no sheep versus wild TV show. You're familiar with that show, Man vs. Wild. It's this former British Special Forces officer is dropped in the middle of nowhere with hardly any supplies, and somehow he has to make his way back to civilization, and you watch and you see all these amazing survival techniques. Well, there'd be no sheep versus wild show because every show would end the same with a dead sheep. And that's the point. They would die every time. They are not able to survive on their own. They're not able to save themselves. And listen, that is the picture of our condition apart from Christ. We are lost. We cannot save ourselves. We are in desperate need of someone to come and find us, to rescue us. And the shepherd is telling us something about God. This is what God is like. He takes the initiative. He goes after that which is lost. He does not wait for us to find him. Jesus seeks until he finds. He goes after the lost. He goes after the sinners. And this is not just some token search. You know, when our dog Rosa gets out, I don't just open the back door and look out in the backyard and I don't see her and I say, well, kids, 
Sorry, I guess she's gone. It was nice while we had her. No, we go after her until we find her, whatever it takes, and we bring her home. The shepherd, even more so, he pours everything into the search. He combs the valleys. He peers from the hilltops, always calling, always seeking. The search is relentless. The shepherd cannot and will not allow himself to rest. The lost must be found and they will be found. Jesus is the hound of heaven who relentlessly pursues the lost with his irresistible grace. Beloved, this is amazing good news for us. But this would have been shocking to the ears of the Pharisees and the scribes. Scandalous. But this was Jesus speaking. God himself in the flesh, words coming out of his mouth, purposely revealing his true heart for sinners. And if you were a tax collector or sinner sitting there, this was wonderful, amazing news to your ears. Jesus would do that for me. That means there is someone looking for me. There is someone who loves me. There is someone who cares. Think about that for a moment. What exactly did Jesus do to seek sinners? To go after the lost. Think about that. What great lengths God has gone to. What great sacrifice he has made to seek sinners. Jesus, who had enjoyed perfect, unbroken fellowship with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of the mankind he had created as a helpless baby. He walked on this planet that his fingers had fashioned. And he lived among our brokenness. The most holy one being assaulted with every kind of temptation to sin. Yet remaining without sin. Living a perfect sinless life. Always doing what pleased his father. He who always obeyed the law was then treated like a criminal. He who is the truth who never lies, was reviled as a blasphemer. Tongues that he designed hurled insults at him. Mouths that he created spit on him. Hands that he gave strength to beat him. And men with life and breath that he gave killed him. And he humbly suffered it all for you and because of your sin. And he did it without reviling in return, without grumbling, without complaining. In his body, on the tree, he bore the crushing weight of sin where your own hands should have been. And he did this when you were wandering like a sheep so that you could return to the shepherd and lover of your soul. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be found. One author wrote this, How amazing that God in Christ should do all this. That the Most High, the Most Holy, should be the all-loving too. That the ineffable majesty should stoop to take upon himself our flesh, 
subject to hunger and cold, death and desperation. We see him lying in the feed box of a donkey, laboring in a carpenter's shop, dying a derelict under the sins of the world. The gospel is not so much a miracle as a marvel. And every line is suffused with wonder. This is truly amazing news. But there's more. There is more to God's true heart for sinners. For not only has Jesus done everything necessary for you to be found, but even more. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he rejoices. Verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. The shepherd is so filled with joy that he cannot keep it to himself. He is compelled to call his neighbors and friends and invite them to join in the celebration. The point is this. Jesus says, listen, Pharisees and scribes, not only do I receive sinners, I do much more than that. I seek them out. And when I find them, God does not frown. He rejoices. Verse 7 gives us that message loud and clear. As Jesus sums up that first picture, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The message is loud and clear. God himself rejoices when sinners repent. It brings him great joy. But he is not pleased with the self-righteous and the self-important, with those who think they do not need to repent, with the Pharisees and the scribes. People who think they're good enough on their own. Who think they do not need Jesus. Who think they're better than everyone else. So Jesus' message to them is, you want to please God? Stop grumbling about my love for sinners. You are a sinner yourself. Repent and join me in seeking lost sinners and having compassion on them. Jesus gives us another picture In verses 8 through 10, the picture of the lost coin. It's a different picture, but it's uh, the same message with maybe one added detail. Verse 8 says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So she has lost a coin. And this coin, one out of ten this time, was worth about a day's wages. So there was definite value to what had been lost. And I think that's the point Jesus is communicating here. Sinners are valuable to God, even in their lost condition. They have been made in His image. Listen, you may be worthless in your own sight, because you can only see what you've made of yourself. The mess, the pain, the broken relationships. Or maybe others are telling you that you are worthless. But God sees the value in you. He himself 
formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. He uniquely created you in his image and he loves you and he gave himself for you. He sees what only he can make of you. And he seeks diligently for you until he finds you and brings you home. The woman here did everything she can to find the lost coin. She probably lived in a home that hardly had any light in it. The dirt floor may be covered up with straw. And so when she loses that coin in her home, she lights a lamp so she can see. She grabs a broom. She starts sweeping diligently, seeking, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something valuable to you? If you have, you know that sense of desperation. I want to find it. I am going to look for it until I find it. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I and, and our, our kids, we had five at that time, and uh, at least one set of grandparents, we went to the farm show in Harrisburg. I'm sure many of you have been there yourselves. And, uh, you know, it's huge. Huge rooms there, people everywhere, all kinds of activity going on. And we were in a room probably bigger than this, and it was filled with all kinds of tractors and farm equipment. And all of a sudden, we look around, and my son Luke, who was probably two or three at the time, is gone. At least four adults, only five kids, and somehow we lost one of them. We can't see him anywhere. If you've ever had a child go missing like that for any length of time, you know the sense of desperation you would have. I have to find my child. And so what did we do? We split up, and we're looking everywhere for this child. Where is he? And then finally, I come to this huge green tractor, this big, tall ladder, and I look up, and there, sitting in the seat with his hands on the steering wheel, is my little boy. And there's two high school students just looking like waiting their turn. And I can't tell you the joy that I felt. And I quickly told my wife and the grandparents, we found him. Everything's okay. The joy when the lost are found. The intensity of the search for something valuable to you. Listen, in this passage, it is the Lord himself who is looking for the lost. That is why he came. That's why he's on the planet in that moment, in the flesh, speaking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the tax collectors, the sinners, because he came to seek and save the lost. And what joy when he finds them, when he fulfills his mission, when he brings lost sinners to repentance, God and all of heaven and all the angels join in the celebration of rejoicing. Beloved, what amazing news this is. For all of us here today, how do we respond to such news? Many of you have started a Bible reading plan this year. It's a great way to seek after the heart of God. I encourage the students, anytime they're reading the Bible or even listening to a sermon, there's some key questions you can ask yourself. So two good questions to ask yourself as you're reading Scripture are these. First, what is true about God? And secondly, how should I respond? What is true about God and how should I respond? So if we ask those questions this morning, what is true about God? What have we learned? We've seen that God has a heart for sinners. He goes after sinners. He is not like the Pharisees and scribes. He does not grumble about sinners. He doesn't despise sinners. He loves sinners. He doesn't seek to keep them away. He seeks to bring them in. That's why he came. He does not see them as outcasts 
to be avoided, but as lost sheep to be brought home. And so how do we respond to these glorious, gracious, amazing truths about our God? Well, the first response is to repent. Some of you are here this morning because God Himself is going after you. Jesus is actively pursuing you to win your repentance. Yes, you must repent, but God has not left you alone in this. Through His Son, Jesus, He has gone to great lengths to reach you, to transform you, to make you new. And this message today, and you being here, is one of them. It is no accident Jesus is here speaking in His Word and His message to you is clear. Repent and come to the table of Jesus. Rest in the One who loves you more than anyone else. The One who welcomes you. Because the message is clear. Jesus has come for the outcasts. For people on the margins. For people who have made a mess of their lives for people who are ordinary. He has come for people even who have rejected Him, who have not believed in Him, who have thought they do not need Him. Jesus has come for sinners. He has come for you. There is room at the table of Jesus. Repent and God will rejoice. The Bible says, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amazing. All can be forgiven. No matter what kind of sinner you are, Jesus has come for you. Whether you're like the sinners in our passage, blatant in their immorality, Jesus has come for you. Whether you're like the Pharisees and scribes and think that you are righteous on your own and you don't need Jesus, He has come for you. Whether your sin is one of disbelief and doubt and you don't believe that Jesus is who He said He was, He has come for you. It does not matter what kind of sinner you are. Christ came for all kinds of sinners. He came for you. All can be forgiven. Repent and turn to Christ. Well, the second response that we can have is to worship and delight in such a wonderful Savior. Listen, if Jesus has already found you and brought you to repentance and faith in Him alone for your salvation, you should be amazed. You were lost, you were dead in your sin with no hope of finding your way home. But Jesus sought you. Think about that. Jesus, God Himself in the flesh, the One who always has been and always will be, the Creator of all things, the One who upholds the universe by the Word of His power, the Holy One, sinless, spotless, undefiled, the One exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every name, before whom every knee will bow and tongue confess that He is Lord, this Almighty God, 
who reigns over all galaxies and stars and nations and kings and people and creatures and heaven and earth and under the earth, He sought you. He pursued you in love and mercy when you were foolish, disobedient, a slave to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He gave his life for you while you were still weak at the right time, while you were ungodly, while you were a sinner. God showed his tremendous love for you by dying in your place for your sins when you were his enemy. And he did this when you were unable and unwilling to seek him. So you can say in wonder and amazement with the poet, I sought the Lord. And afterward, I knew he moved my soul to seek him Seeking me. It was not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. That God would pursue and find lost sinners and rejoice when they repent. This is beyond amazing. This is the best news the world has ever heard. Worship, praise, adoration, awe, thanksgiving, grateful obedience, love, All our proper responses compelled by the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us sinners. And so we can say with the hymn writers, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Hallelujah, He has found me. The one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings. By his blood I now am saved. Amen? Amazing. Well, finally, we respond by reflecting God's true heart for sinners to the world around us. How can we not? We who are undeserving sinners ourselves, with no merit of our own. Only by God's grace and mercy do we know the Savior. We who have tasted His goodness, who have received His love, how can we not reflect God's heart for lost sinners among us? Will we pray for them? Will we love them as we have been loved? Will we serve them as we have been served? Will we befriend them? Will we receive them and eat with them and have them into our homes? Will we, like Jesus, make this a priority in our lives? Will we, like Jesus, make great personal sacrifices, give of our time and energy to see it happen? Will we do all we can and not stop until the lost are found? Beloved, 
if we would be like Jesus, if we would reflect his heart for lost sinners, by his grace, we will. I believe the more we are like Jesus, the more we forgiven sinners will care about lost sinners, those who are lost and outside the church. And I believe that the more we, as a family of found sinners, reflect God's heart and love for lost sinners, the more we will see them in our midst and the more God will use us as part of his rescue mission. May God be pleased to pour out his spirit upon us so that we might have the privilege of joining God and rejoicing when the lost are found and brought home. Amen and amen. Father, you are a gracious God. Thank you for calling us home to you, granting us repentance and faith. I pray that your spirit would work in every heart and life here this morning, that we might reflect you to the world around us, and that you would bring the lost home. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.